Welcome. This is the Sydney Ideas Podcast, bringing you talks and conversations featuring the best and brightest minds at the University of Sydney and beyond. Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to this Sydney Ideas event where we're discussing bringing nightlife back to our city, a, clo- a topic that's very close to the heart of us here at the University of Sydney. I'm Mark Scott, and I'm Vice-Chancellor here at the University, and tonight I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I want to pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging. It's a pleasure to be with you, to be able to open this conversation, and I should say at the outset, the irony is not missed by any of us. We were all planning to gather together in person to talk about uh, restoring the nightlife to our city, but the weather and circumstances have overtaken us. And so we're gathering tonight on Zoom. Of course, we are all very well experienced in how to do that. I've had chance to reflect on the importance of gathering together. I was appointed vice chancellor last year. I started here at the university in uh, July. And I can tell you my first few months were very, very quiet on campus. There was in effect no one here quite sad in many ways and quite a contrast to what we saw uh, just two weeks ago when we had Welcome Week and we opened up our university to students again and they came back in vast numbers. So happy to be gathering together once more. Big crowds, live music, food trucks, hundreds of clubs and societies to join. You know, there is something joyful about coming together and we feel very strongly at the university that it's the community experience that's sort of vital part of the education. How wonderful it is to gather together, how wonderful it is to learn together. And so we've had strong evidence of that. And I suspect one of the things we've learned through COVID-19 is the importance of some things that we've taken for granted. And perhaps if we ever took for granted the importance of gathering together, we'll never do so again after the experiences of COVID-19. Here at the university, you know, we want to be a place for connection where a community comes together, where we talk and share ideas, an inclusive place for us to live and to work and to play. Um, And we're confident that as we come through the challenges of COVID, our university can once again come back to life in the way that we want it to be. And I think that's an important example, I think, more broadly for our city. The debate around nightlife in our city has been a relevant and a pressing one uh, for several years now, dating back before the COVID shutdowns. But how important it is now, how important it is that we create an environment uh, where we all emerge from wherever we've been bunkered down to enjoy all that this city has to offer uh, in the nightlife and to take advantage of our opportunities to be part of a broader community and to share the great things of life together uh, in our great city. But how do we do that after several years of disruption and then several years before that, when the nightlife in our city was dialed down? Well, that's what tonight's discussion is all about. And we've got a terrific panel uh, who are full of experts, expertise and full of ideas and we look forward to hearing their contributions and the hour that lies ahead. So I'm now going to hand it over to our MC tonight, Steph Harmon. Steph is the culture editor of Guardian Australia, and she's going to moderate tonight's events and welcome our guests. So Steph, over to you. Thank you, Mark Scott. It is a pleasure to have you here. And thanks everyone else as well for joining Sydney Ideas today. I am culture editor of Guardian Australia. I am your moderator this evening. Obviously, we were all very, very looking forward to seeing actual people in the flesh, but we have been felled by the weather. It's a refreshing uh, change from being felled by the pandemic, but we're on Zoom again. Um, It's great to have you all here. This panel is going to go for about 40, 45 minutes, and then we'll be opening up for questions. So Sydney's nightlife. This is a particularly close to home topic for me. I was editing a Sydney music and arts magazine more than a decade ago, back when the nightlife of Sydney was bustling with venues and art shows and readings and gigs, sometimes you'd go to three or four a night. But when the Sydney Sydney lockouts took hold in 2014, we watched that scene decimated. So not just the music and bars and venues, but all of the arts industries and hospitality industries that supported, supported that culture and, and were supported by that culture as well. In 2019, 
Time Out magazine asked readers to judge 48 global cities on their nightlife and Sydney came in at number 48. And that was before the bushfires. It was before the pandemic. It was before the floods that we're seeing right now. Um, so, you know, the pressing question is how do we use this moment to rebuild, to recreate or even create a more diverse and vibrant city? One that doesn't just revolve around inner cities, around bars, around booze. We've got some incredibly smart people working very hard to answer that question. Um, on the panel today, we have Jess Scully, the City of Sydney's Deputy Lord Mayor, who is low-key obsessed with reviving public space, nightlife and creative culture of cities. Her book, Glimpses of Utopia, is all about how new ideas can change where we live and how we live for the better. We also have Sarah Saleh, a refugee and racial justice activist, a writer and an award-winning poet. She's also an ambassador of the wildly brilliant Bankstown Poetry Slam, and she'll be giving us a taste of her work at the end of the panel, so you have to stick around for that. We have Carla Tiernison, who had a career in major events in Sydney, including at Sydney Festival and the Sydney Opera House, before working on cultural programs and the CBD activation for the city of Parramatta. She's now the senior manager of place, activa uh, sorry, of place activation at Sydney Olympic Park. And finally, we have the State of New South Wales first 24-hour economy commissioner, Michael Rodriguez, who's heading up the major strategy to turn Sydney into a 24-hour city. He spent 15 years at the helm of Time Out Australia, so he knows all about the phases that Sydney has been through and where it's heading. He's going to give us a bit of a lay of the land now just to set things up before the panel kicks off. So thanks, Mike. Take it away. Thanks very much, Steph, and, and also Mark for having me. Uh, it's a it's a new concept in terms of parlance anyway, 24-hour economy, and despite my best efforts, I'm not able to locate a precedent anywhere else in the country, nor globally, uh, for a central government taking such an active interest in in uh, getting the going out conditions right. And it's a really exciting opportunity, I think, uh, for, for everyone, and partly why I do so much uh, engagement. I'll do my best to stick to my allocated time slot here. Uh, because it, it is a real opportunity, I think, and the pandemic has, has created this in particular for us to slow down, stop and think, you know, what could the potential be? And not with the lens of how do we get back the inverted commas, good old days, but what could the future look like? Uh, because I, I don't know that we ever ha actually had it right. Uh, so, and we can argue the cost with that later, um, but that's that's part of the opportunity that uh, I f where I find myself today and, and hoping we can have a great discussion um, so you guys can help me um, do what I need to do, which is create the, the, those conditions that uh, are so essential for creativity to flourish and for the people to go out, enjoy themselves and be part of a city. It, 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 because it's so new in, and I, I spend my life uh, really responding to, you know what you need to do. And I was given this health warning when I took the role um, because I'm both the city's nightlife champion and it's whipping um, person. But it, it means different things to different people. So if you're a consumer, someone who just wants to go out and have fun, if you're a student who's visiting uh, from another uh, uh, country, perhaps, if you're a shift worker, um, a musician and hospitality professional, if you own licensed premises and once had a, a roaring trade off the back of certain um, practices, or if you're a new small bar owner, if you're an industry advocate that represents interests from different perspectives, you might be obsessed with uh, red tape and uh, why can't we get a DA through and what can the government be doing? Um, there's a category that I think often gets overlooked, and that's uh, the the investor who's providing the capital to help support uh, the going out infrastructure. So, so these lenses are just a, a, a summary, I think, of the different many different stakeholders who who have an interest in this. And, and why wouldn't you? It's uh, it's it, it's something that affects us on a daily basis, whether you're uh, on a Zoom call because it's too wet to go out or because uh, there's restrictions in place uh, from a, a, self, a, a safety perspective. And last of all, of course, like if you were to ask the clans of the Eora uh, about 24-hour economy, uh, they might look at you relatively strangely because uh, is, was, always. And I acknowledge uh, um, we are, I'm on Gadigal land and pay my respects to elders past, present, emerging across the Eora. Um, so, so how I like to think about it really, and please, by all means, go read the uh, 57-page government document, but, but to simplify it, really what sits at the heart of the 24-hour economy um, strategy is an ambition to tell the story of people and place across Greater Sydney. And so we have such a diverse topography. We have, I think, the seventh most multicultural uh, city on the planet. 
Uh, and so that that kind of really, and then as I say, it's framed up really by the the, the story of the oldest time. Uh, and and I really approach the work from that perspective, and and see myself as someone who is there to help facilitate and pull levers to allow that storytelling to happen. Um, there's a couple of other unifying concepts that I'll just make really brief mention. But from an economic perspective, uh, it, the, the, there's a view that the city is an asset, and if you were running a trucking company, you wouldn't park trucks up on the on the sidewalk 16 hours a day. You want them on the road. Uh, generating outcomes from a business perspective. So a 24-hour economy gives rise to uh, how flexible a business model can you have for a city that's looking to serve uh, businesses of all types, but potentially even different time zones or economic activity elsewhere on the planet. Uh, trust me, the how of this is, is entirely complicated because of the, um, the, the, the number of stakeholders. And we'll talk about this later, but uh, my work spans councils across Greater Sydney, the many verticals that underpin the going out economy. And I think at least 10, 10 government agencies um, in New South Wales um, that I know of, and probably about 20 teams between. Um, and what's the objective here? Really, well, it's to make the city uh, more livable, more vibrant and more exciting. And why do we want to do that? Well, that's the best way of attracting and keeping smart people. Um, and from an economic perspective, that's the talent attraction and, and capital attraction leads to new industries. Uh, that's a very economic view, but really um, that what comes with that is enhanced citizen amenity. People of all places, stations, whether you're um, my five-year-old daughter and my 75-year-old uh, um, father, uh, how can they participate in, in going out experiences uh, in, in a way that they feel comfortable with and that they can also make them part of the community? And so I, I think the last point I'll make before I pass back to Steph, who's going to chair us from this point, is really that Lockout, um, and, and where we've ended up in New South Wales is because of the lockout experience, we, uh, we've thought about this in a, in a deep way. And if lockout, uh, as I've said before, was a cold, perhaps um, lockdown is the equivalent of pneumonia. And so what we've got here is a strategy that if we think about the principles of it, perhaps we can use it for uh, reimagining a going out economy of the future. Thank you so much for that, Mike. Um I want to start with a question for you. I mean, you started this job in the middle of a pandemic um, and now Touchwood, it kind of feels a little bit like we're coming out of it. Restrictions are easing, but it's not like our nightlife is going to just snap back, is it? I mean, even before the pandemic, we were going out less and now there's actual risk associated with going out, health risk. I'm wondering from your perspective, what are the biggest challenges holding Sydney's nightlife back right now? And, and how do you see us convincing people to go out again? <laughs> I'm always out in my head, by the way. So whether I'm on a Zoom call or, or uh, actually out and about. Uh, I like to think about these three uh, things. So if you think about the impact of the pandemic, and as you've touched on, lockout was an oversimplification. There was actually other transitions that were happening. We can talk about those. But think about these usage occasions of entertainment, which is kind of primarily why in this context nightlife is referenced. The destinational visit, I'm going to leave my house and go somewhere at a distance, at some cost, navigating public transport or otherwise, the destinational visit. What's around my local area? Uh, can I walk to it? And what's happened to that during the pandemic? And then lastly, uh, the couch, which, um, as you've heard me say at other times, is, is my sworn enemy. I, I'm there to advocate that couches uh, need to put up a sorry, we're closed because people want to, people should be out. But if you think about those three things, like what's happened to the destinational experiences can become um, increasingly more challenging. And today's a great example with the weather, before weather we had bushfires, right? Before, So there's sort of, sort of a series of events here potentially that we've got to think about. We said it's not safe to come out and perhaps don't get on public transport. So. And then the pandemic's really impacted those concentrated areas in a way that uh, hasn't necessarily happened in the suburbs or neighbourhoods. And so that um, has taken a big hit. Um, then, and needs social consideration, the local areas tended to improve, not in all places, but because people have been at home, they've been spending in their area and have got familiar with it, for, um, which is actually how Sydney was set up as suburbs versus city. And we, when do we decide that only office work could go on in the city? That's uh, a good question to come back to. But if you think about the couch and why it's my, my enemy, so to speak, is that now you can, there's a service that allows you to combine all your streaming services so you don't have to surf the your streaming services. You can order the best of the city to your couch via delivery and it's two clicks to stay in. How many does it take to go out? And so, and 
I think a former uh, city councillor said something like, uh, uh, convenience is the enemy of sustainability and the convenience of at-home ex- entertainment is a barrier and we've become used to it. And I think uh, Vice Chancellor made a good point about social connection. We're very innate that we want to be together. And so there is an element that will happen, but you know, there's a, a real user experience element to this and price. Mm-hmm. Price is one of the biggest factors that I think over gets overlooked um, when it comes to this discussion. And, um, you know, these are the things that I I spend my time uh, worrying about. Yeah. I mean, maybe Jess, you know, I know that the city of Sydney is always looking for ways to kind of get us off our couch and into the city. Um, I'm wondering if you can give us some actual specifics about, you know, as we recover from the lockdowns and the lockouts, you've been across the kind of different techniques um, that have worked, but you've also been across ones that might not have. I'm wondering if you can tell us what's been working and what surprised you and what can we learn from, from failures? Oh yeah, so much, so much there. And I also want to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from Gadigal land tonight and to extend my respect to elders past and present and um, the next generation of elders of the Eora Nation. Uh, And I'm so delighted to be here. I wish we were meeting in person. I don't want to scare you, Mike, but I think the couch is behind you. So uh, (laughs) watch out, watch your back. Um, But look, I think Mike, uh, Mike talked about the destinational experience, right? And, and what is working is creating destinations that are more intentional and actually designed to attract people because we got to do a lot to seduce people off their couches again. We've all gotten, even us extroverts have become introverts over the last two years. And so cities need to work more collaboratively and harder to um, entice people out. Um, and, and there are a few other D words apart from destination that I want to come to that that I think are important. But in terms of what what had been working was al fresco right so actually making people feel safe by bringing them out onto the street and since november 2020 we've had 393 businesses in the city of sydney just in the inner city who have taken up the outdoor dining opportunity so this is free outdoor dining reclaiming uh, car spaces for people to like have a good time and connect with each other for businesses to trade um, when they had reduced uh, capacity uh, restrictions and when they and also when people didn't feel safe going into venues and that really worked until it started raining all the time right so that has been a real challenge in terms of what hasn't worked Um, what has worked is turning more space over to social life and creativity so we've done these amazing series of six um, street closures in partnership working hand in hand with the new south wales government and the festival of place um, which we've called um, sydney summer streets and they have just gone off and you know like the the one on crown street i think is just one of this unforgettable experience for everyone who got to go out there and dance on the street and reconnect with their friends and neighbours because as well as being for capital attraction and talent attraction, what nightlife and creativity and social life brings us is connection and belonging. And it's the reason we live in cities and not, you know, spread out all over the countryside. So that was the stuff that worked. The challenge we're facing is the the climate challenge that is the overarching story that we need to deal with. Um, And then just I'll throw a few other words in the mix, you know, it's the need for a greater diversity of opportunities and options to go out, better, broader distribution around the city um, is required. Um, and and redefining expectations about what it means to live in a city and what your role is as a citizen in a city, which I'd love to talk more about later, but I'll leave it there, Steph. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I I, uh, live in Redfern, um, also on Gadigal land of the Euro Nation um, and acknowledge Indigenous elders past and present, but also acknowledge the summer streets of Redfern was a really, really great night out from the city. Um, Sarah, I wanted to come to you. I mean, this conversation around nightlife it's, it's always been kind of dominated on, on bars and venues in the inner city, but there's a very different nightlife to be found and to be revitalised in Western Sydney as well. And, and this area, of course, was the hardest hit by, by the pandemic. You're in part of one of the most vibrant creative organisations in the area, the Bankstown Poetry Slam. Can you talk us through what Western Sydney's nightlife is like at its best and, and also what the area's been through during the last few years? Thanks, Steph. Um, Before I begin, I would also like to acknowledge that I'm on Gadigal land, the Gadigal land of the Gadigal and Bidjigal peoples, and um, to pay my respects to elders past and present. And I just want to say that I'm um, 
in awe always of the fact that I'm on land where storytelling has taken place for generations and, and generations before us. And in the spirit of tonight's conversation where we are talking about um, storytelling and also and sharing and the future, uh, one also must pay uh, or heed, I suppose, and honor uh, our past as well in order to kind of, you know, figure out where we're going. So with that, um, this is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. I think so much has been said already, of course, and so much to comment on. And I particularly loved um, what was said around the tapestry of, you know, this, this rich uh, country uh, that we're on and uh, situating ourselves as, as migrants, as settlers, as very diverse multicultural communities on stolen land. And what does that mean? What does that look like for? And these are important considerations for the nightlife. Um, I, to, to go to your question, I think, as an artist and as someone who is, uh, you know, quite obviously invisibly from a from a different community, uh, growing up, uh, especially around my uni years, um, in going to use Sydney Uni and, and growing up in that area, I didn't always feel particularly welcome because the dominant uh, sort of mode of, of nightlife was uh, the pub or the bar, and you know, uh, of course. Um, there, you know, there's a variety of, of um, people that will be like fine with that. But I also think it is um, something that is really missing from the conversation around how we um, become more inclusive and how we think about being more uh, family uh, friendly and safe and how we, you know, sort of turn away from the dominance of that drinking culture. So for me, like even as I said, uh, as early on um, as my university days, uh, just wanting to get a late night cup of coffee because I'm that kind of person was really difficult because everything um, close early and my only options were bars and pubs and so in order to find a place that felt a little bit more welcoming and a little bit more inclusive I would have to go out west and that could be as uh you know all the way in Parramatta um which acknowledging from Sydney Uni is a little bit of a trek um to Burwood and to Lakemba and other sorts of uh you know western Sydney suburbs and so for me that's always been something that I um, have thought about and have been doing. It's sort of not even something I think about actually at this point. Um, but to, uh, yeah, to, to kind of go to Bankstown Poetry Slam, that's exactly why uh, Bankstown Poetry Slam was started because communities, artists, uh, young, you know, artists from uh, all over Western Sydney were kind of getting tired of having to constantly make the trek, especially midweek to the city, um, whether it was the long train rides or driving there and copying a ticket because, you know, it's so expensive to park in the city and you will be fined. Um, they will find you. Um, I, I think just thinking about that and trying to bring it out and make, you know, create spaces that were geographically accessible, but also not constantly just held at bars and pubs um, to celebrate and share and exchange our art and our storytelling uh, was precisely why uh, BPS was started a decade ago. And uh, clearly there was a need for it because it has been thriving in the last decade and hasn't stopped. And so what that tells me or what that tells us, I suppose, is that that there's definitely a need to be able to create these spaces, to be um, more welcoming to think about how we engage young artists from all around and you know, communities from all around Western Sydney and to, to not just center the city in that. Um, and yeah, obviously the last year or two has really been quite difficult. I expected that with the lockout laws, it would shift and force people to go further out. But then obviously with um, pandemic, with climate, these are really big questions about how we, we think about this. Um, but from, from the perspective of local businesses, uh, we were really hard hit, particularly with the response in Western Sydney and the whole communities of concern rhetoric. But what's also really amazing to see is that we're so invested in our local communities that we have been the first to be there to support and to um, try and do what we can to address some of the issues that um, have come out of the last two years. You know, just going more, like digging deeper into that, Carla, you've, you've been focused on revitalizing and reactivating some of these spaces in Western Sydney. So, you know, mm -hmm. from your perspective, what's happening different in that region uh, compared to this CBD in, in Sydney? I mean, you mentioned um, when we were speaking earlier that the areas you're working in have actually bounced back a little bit faster. Can you talk us through what you've been noticing? Yeah, 
Well, I'm now working uh, a giant park. So Sydney Olympic Park, and I did not know this before I started and I'm really new in the job, is the size of the CBD, which is gobsmacking, right? And during the pandemic, our some of our public parks have been so well um, patronised that, in fact, they're getting crowded. So we're doing stuff like putting charcoal barbecues in. We've built uh, a container that's like a plug-and-play container for musicians. So we're kind of trying to meet the community where, they, where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I say sport also, uh, while it's not my field of speciality, it's gone off in the park. We had a Matilda's game recently that had 50,000 people to it. And in uh, March, from about March 19 to 26, we're going to have about 150,000 people through the park for sporting events. Um, so, you know, there is stuff going on. So, And it's quite a different perspective to being in a CBD. And I've really, um, yeah, it's been really fun. There's, I see a lot of opportunity. Um, so that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. What kind of opportunity? Like, can you talk through some of the, I mean, I know you, you, you and Jess both have a passion for activating spaces that might not be used correctly or used in all the ways. Maybe you can both talk a little bit about some opportunities you've seen and spotted that are, are getting people out of the house. One of the funniest things that happened to me on my first precinct visit to the park in this new job was I was walking around with an urban designer and uh, we stumbled across an amphitheatre and it's a thousand seat amphitheater that I did not even know was in the park. So uh, I got pretty excited because I get excited anytime I see a venue, let alone <laughs> when it's undercover and outdoor. I was like, it's COVID friendly. So there's we have venues in the park. There's also the wood chopping arena, otherwise known as the Charles Moses Stadium. That seats 2,000 people. And again, it's outdoor and it's got lighting kind of infrastructure and stuff. So I I guess I'm just seeing heaps and heaps of assets that we can use, that we can, uh, and I am in great conversations with some of our venues right now about bringing creative communities into those venues and trying to lower the barriers, including price, cost. Um, So it's, yeah, it probably sounds a bit ridiculous, but I'm super excited because I'm in exactly the right place. And then there's just all of the parks there's just, uh, you know, there's just green space everywhere. So we have loads of opportunity. And this one particular bit of the uh, the park called the Armoury, which is really beautiful um, heritage precinct. It used to be an old munitions factory, but it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and I think that's got amazing capacity for cultural production. Um, so, and in fact, it has been used by artists right now, but there's, there could be a lot more use. So, yeah, I, I am, yeah, I'm pretty excited about the opportunities. And, I mean, green space has become a huge thing during the pandemic too, right? I mean, we all knew yep. every single green park, every green space in our in our 5KM, I think we became very acquainted with it. Jess, I'm wondering what the challenges are, you know, coming from the city of Sydney perspective. Have you, are you taking any learnings from what's happening in Western Sydney, like watching, uh, you know, perhaps a more thriving nightlife in suburbs like Burwood um, compared to what's happened to the CBD? Like, what, what are you learning from the city's perspective? Absolutely. Uh, I think there's so much to learn. And, and the first thing we learned that is that every space works really hard. Uh, and, you know, you know, as Carla said, like the people are just claiming space where they can. And and people, uh, the, one of the great things that came out of the pandemic is I think a sense of ownership over public space. And we saw a lot of kids like building um, BMX tracks in a couple of parks around Sydney. And now we're figuring out how we can make that stuff safe and permanent and uh, people, you know, using space more intensively over parks which they might have used more in the daytime using them at nighttime too um, to have different places to hang out and what we're learning you know from from Sydney is um, you know how do we help people feel that sense of connection and ownership how do we make it safe for them absolutely Um, but also how do we provide options that are more diverse and family friendly and so we've got this pipeline of events that we've supported that are still coming through between now and June um, including you know a family-friendly dance festival at Belmore Park and Belmore Park is this jewel you know it's right there next to Central Station it doesn't get a lot of use apart from maybe during protests Mm. Um, and so we're actually going to start to see hopefully that being used more for family-friendly opportunities Um, you know we've got a festival at Hyde Park Barracks coming with um, with producers from all over Sydney Um, and and we're trying to give people good reasons to come back to the city but we are also noting that our villages you know the uh, Redfern um, 
you know, uh, Potts Point, Darlinghurst, they didn't ever see the drop off in, in people going out as we have seen in the CBD. So how do we keep people in love with their local neighbourhoods and still going out in their no local neighbourhoods and developing up more nightlife offerings in those neighbourhoods to cater to people who maybe don't want to travel so much um, for the destinational thing or, or maybe come and travel into the CBD fewer days of the week, but they're still going out and having a good time closer to home as well. So mm. figuring out how we can have have really great micro precinct offerings all over the city is is what we're learning out of it as well and so we've got this new category which is called the grant category called the precinct activation grants where we're offering really substantial sums of money to people to work as creative teams to come and activate and bring unique character and flavor to different parts of the city so that we get that more nuanced range of offerings that um, that Sarah was talking about as well. We've had a question uh, on the Slido, which I just, I think it's a really interesting one. And it, it's kind of tied a little bit to this idea of travel. And I think, Mike, you've got, you've got some thoughts about people living where they work and work and offices being kind of centred in the city. But there is, the last two years, this is JP's question, have, have instilled a deep fear of death and contamination in us. How do you undo that fear? Like, how do you make people feel safe again to travel, to, to sort of, go beyond the confines of their loca locales and to feel okay on public transport Public transport in the CBD, like still feels weird to me to be inside a bus. Um, how are we going to kind of get that trust back? I've got so many thoughts, right? Like, but I, can I make this comment before I get into the specifics? Because so much of this is about recognizing whether you want to embrace a new paradigm or, or agree to the paradigm of the old. And I just got to say this, that, um, a lot of the and by whether design or judgment your panelists today and i don't know everyone um very well but what i do know is that most um um have, have come from the western suburbs i i i i grew up in liverpool went to school in campbelltown scully i know was liverpool went to school in fairfield uh and sarah i'm guessing maybe bankstown the carla you and i met at Parramatta, and 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 when i was appointed to the role um you know my 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 awakening to social media and trolls was when I said, you know, I want to make it possible to go up for $50 a night or less. Like, and people said, you can't do that. When's this guy, when did he last go out, et cetera. But of course, if you want, I've uh, idea of a night out is to sort of focus on alcohol and drink. A lot. You're going to, but if your night out, your, your price is going to be high, right? But if your night out is, as I have known to be too, is like street food in Harris park and good conversation, et cetera, then this becomes a very different, um, concept yeah. uh so so uh, like and the reason i say that is because when you get to the safety discussion which is a lot what frames up the 24-hour economy strategy it has risen from that lockout experience and we've got to honor that uh and respect it but what does safety mean in 2022 three four and inhalation from smoke uh slipping over in the wet uh if you're a you know person who's older or has mobility issues and of course, uh, how do you feel about hygiene? And, uh, you, you know, so these are things that I think all impact the consumer experience. And uh, so building back trust um, is, 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 I think, recognising that you need to do that in the first instance. So things like visible cleaning, I think the city's been proactive on that front as just one example. But it also goes to uh, issues of uh, safe transfer between um, uh, um, transport points, lighting uh, and ventilation and so uh, so much of this is um about i think establishing a new paradigm and this is where i sometimes get into challenges in certain stakeholder groups because it it, it rethinks our overall approach without abandoning the best of what we had before by the way and i think carla made an interesting point about sport i'm so agnostic about why people leave the house and this is my job Right, like if it's to hear Sarah perform, awesome. If it's to go to a sporting event, awesome. Just it's better than being at home. And I, I'm trying to encourage the storytellers to, to fill the pages. My job is to help be the publisher in this scenario and allow that story to be told, and 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 then by exciting people in the first instance, and then showing safety in in, in that wider context for all people. It's not just about women. Uh, it, it often gets it's women's safety. People of um, different backgrounds, uh, marginalised communities, uh, you, you know, all suffer certain issues. And I think that, that that's just fundamental to, um, you know, like a, a rejuvenated approach. The good thing is we've got a strategy and, and the right people to, to work on it together. And, you know, so much of this conversation, as we've kind of said, has been led by the hospitality and alcohol um, industries. 
We've got quite a few questions on, on the Slido coming in about how can we revitalize the other parts of Sydney's nightlife? Like, can we work on nightlife, nighttime options without an alcohol focus is one question. Another question is, do we have plans to revitalize Sydney's nightlife without relying on events and festivals and just increasing basic local experiences, like being able to go to the shops after 9 p.m.? Is this stuff the city's working on as well? Like, what, what are some tactics? Can I jump in and then I, I won't talk anymore, but that's what the 24 hour economy strategy is about. It's a, mm. like so agnostic. So, so diversify away from, uh, is, is part one. It, as a counterpoint to the events and festivals, which have a place by the way, and government stimulus and partnership and activation is needed to encourage safety and going out habits. But we approach everything in our office. Other agencies can, should think differently about how do we use what we've already got before we go and build something new because that's the what the strategy is saying. Uh, mm -hmm. So I might I might let someone else jump in on that. If uh, I really be I'd love to to talk very briefly about trading hours and and that question, Steph, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Uh, so um, we there are two sets of reforms that uh, we have initiated at the City of Sydney um, to try and help it make it easier for people to stay open late. Um, the first were these late night trading hour reforms that we introduced in 2018. It was the late night trading development control plan. Um, and we had an extraordinary response. We had 10,000 people from around Sydney contribute um, and give feedback to a planning process, which is not normal. Um, and, and that's because people are so passionate about this. And we got some really incredible reforms through, including, you know, 24 hour trading available in the city centre, later hours in local centres, new trading zones and precincts in the future, including one like for the future, a 24-hour trading precinct in, in North Alexandria, um, and for unlicensed businesses to be able to apply to trade all hours or open later. But we never got to see the outcome of that because then we went straight into bushfires and we went straight into lockdown. So there's, but like, I'm, I'm saying that the best is yet to come with that stuff. Um, and there's also some changes we've made called the open and creative reforms that allow businesses to extend their opening hours without requiring a development consent. Uh, but the challenge that we're seeing, because I just got someone on Twitter uh, mentioned this when they're saying nightlife, you can't, you know, nothing's even open at the moment. We've got this issue with um, staff levels and, you know, and so while the, the levers are turning, we also need staffing and we also need people to feel safe going out in order to, to bring that to life and to kind of power that from a human perspective. So I just want to say some of those things are happening, but the, the conditions are moving against us. Um, we had another really great question, um, which I also had on my list of questions, which is when you guys think of like a vibrant city nightlife, and I'm sure some of you are, are fairly well-traveled, um, I'm wondering what city is your favorite city for nightlife? Or if you want to answer it a different way, what area of Sydney do you think is absolutely nailing it? I mean, I love, um, I love, I love Bangkok. Like I think like you can eat at, at amazing food at all hours. You can dance all over the city. Like you can buy cool stuff at 1am on the street. Like it's just got this real 24 hour economy on the streets in an affordable and accessible way, as well as all the fancy stuff. It's just got it all. But Berlin for dancing. Oh my God. You know, as well, <laughs> like they've nailed it too. So, I mean, we can learn from everywhere in the world really when it comes to nightlife. Yeah, I think Jess is spot on with that. But I do have to say, um, not that I'm biased or anything, but uh, my father is actually originally from Egypt. And so I've been lucky enough to go to Cairo. And one of my favorite things about that, uh, the, the city as well, as Jess said, is is that um, the fact that there are things that are constantly open, there's always something to do for everyone so whether you are into a bit more of the arts and performance and culture scene or you're into markets and shops and things like that or of course history and uh, you know that kind of um amazing uh, uh yeah history and and um sort of like the museum um life is really quite big there and so i do uh, yeah i love cairo i think it's amazing and of course um you know there's a lot of um there's a difference in like scale between those that are at the top and those are at the bottom and that's obviously it would be remiss of me not to talk about that or to mention it but um you know there's uh, I think there's a little bit of that in in here in Sydney too so something to think about 
I'm going to give a shout out to Parramatta. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just just in between two lockdowns, I um, my last job was um, City Activation in Parramatta Artist Studios, and we did a um, an artist led walking tour by the wonderful Rebecca Gallo, and she showed us all of the places that she loves in Parramatta. Uh, and then as we came out of ice where we'd just seen some amazing performance, there were the streets were heaving with people who were just walking around, going from restaurant to restaurant. Uh, and just there was this kind of really lovely kind of vibe of community meets city. And so, yeah, I was going to do a little shout out to Parramatta, plus also flamenco bars in Seville. Yeah. <laughs> like, I- people making culture like just normal people. Love it. This is the question that I get asked the most. And what I find myself saying is that, and great examples um, from the other panellists, people tend to, uh, people framing the debate tend to reference London, New York very quickly. And my response to that is um, none of which have any climactic uh, relevance to what we have here in Sydney, um, firstly. So, and, and I love my small bars as anyone who's been out with me will attest, but I don't know how many people make the trek here to go and sit in a basement bar. I think you, if you come out with me, you'll end up there. But the idea is that you're coming for some other reason. What I think about is, and going back to what I said right at the beginning, is who's the city for? Who participates? And in context of who we're here today and perhaps the listening, it's the student at, at, at some level that and local, whether local or, or international. And what story are we telling? Why are they coming? And I always reference now increasingly, you know what we've got that a lot of other places don't have is beaches. Why aren't they factoring into our nightlife story? And so working with councils like Northern Beaches and Ramwick is such an opportunity to add that tapestry. I think Sarah might have mentioned that tapestry, that colour, because I want going out in Sydney to be as many options as Netflix or whatever it is at home. You know, what channel do we want to see tonight? And let's go to, and it should be affordable, accessible, uh, you know, across those price points. And I think that that's the, the key um, bit that from a product perspective, if you think about this as entertainment, as a product, where are the price points that, and the, where are we weak on price point and engagement? I think Sarah sort of touched on this as well. And, and is that, in you know, this is the challenge in, um, Jess, sorry, like in the city of Sydney, it, it's, it's very expensive from a rental perspective. You talk about staff, staff shortages and uh, they're relevant, but you speak to people, family businesses in the suburbs and they're like, we're all good. We've got big families. We know how to staff our So, you know, the city has, a, I think, a particular challenge and we're sort of working, I think, productively with the city of Sydney to try to kind of, you know, create space for arts and culture and F&B and all the rest of it that, can you know cater to more people essentially can i just say i mean very quickly the common thread that i'm hearing in in this conversation um tonight well you know it's difficult to have this conversation really without thinking about the existing structural issues that we have alluded to multiple times and so i think that there is something to be said for the ethics of all this i mean how we do this in that way um that as i said earlier honors our history and um thinks about that and and take you know takes action concrete action on that and so for me like firstly what that looks like is doing it in a way that is grassroots and so that local communities are involved and consulted and that you know they're not displaced when things get too pricey or when big businesses uh come in um you know, and, and, and take over. And I think that actually also uh, it impacts families and communities in a way that we don't hear about often. Uh, for me, a perfect example of that, again, is to go back to BPS because it was led by two young Western Sydney residents in consultation with other artists from the area, with the Arts Centre. Um, it was about nurturing and showcasing very specifically local ta- talent and still is, while still interacting, obviously, with other geographies around the state, around the country and internationally. Um, you know, same can be said in a way of the Halden Night Markets and the fact that they were originally locally, you know, business-led um, in a sense, uh, even if they weren't officially called that. They've been happening for a long time, um, sort of like underground pockets where communities were leading these. And, and you know, we see this in cities around the world where local citizens are leading, whether it's street theatres and festivals, live music and or uh, things like town halls and community patrols for safety, uh, which, you know, is not anything new historically, even in Australia. Um, So for me, the key is about 
outwards looking in, uh, sorry, not outwards looking in rather, but inwards out. That for me is a big principle. And secondly, thinking about how the local economies, cultures, and communities interact with things like environment. When you have uh, transport strikes, when you have climate change, uh, these are issues that are ongoing and that do um, necessarily have consequences, long-term consequences for safety, uh, for how we think about the, the future, because they are symptoms, you know, and in order to address these symptoms, we need to look at the big, bigger causes and how they're all linked. And, and, you know, by that same token, lastly, I think we should interact with the larger kind of picture. I always say that Sydney is so big. I, I feel so blessed, as, as you said, Mike, the fact that we live, we have a beach and a park on almost you know, every corner really, or a lake or some sort of body of water country. Um, and it's so big that you could literally, you know, do something different each week and never do the same thing twice or each weekend and never do the same thing twice. That's been my thing. And so how do we do that in a way that is nurturing and makes us thrive and honors um, communities across the board? I think that's such a, a really great point. And I, I, I'm really interested to know, I mean, I'm, I'm an arts editor. I've always been an arts journalist. Arts is my, you know, passion. Um, the creative arts has not really, I mean, the music industry maybe, but the creative arts more broadly has not been able to lead this conversation. I'm wondering what's holding that back. I mean, what feedback is the city of Sydney getting about, I, I hear a lot about red tape issues as you know we talk like we want pop-up venues everywhere we want people to be able to perform where they want to perform we want people to be able to park to load in their gear <laughs> without getting massive fines you know there's a lot of things that are holding us back from letting the creative culture and also communities lead um, rather than big business and hospitality yeah I think um, I think there's a couple of things in there that that are connected you know so um affordability and price is a huge issue you know um any city that becomes highly desirable like a city a city that people want to live in and study in and work in um and where there's great opportunity becomes an expensive city and it means that um grassroots communities do get pushed out that innovative or risky uses that may not be hugely economically um lucrative get pushed out um and unless you hold on to spaces and there are subsidized spaces for creativity um then then they can be lost um so that's a huge issue and the number one thing every single day of the week i have someone approaching me asking me for access to space for creativity um, and for connecting with audiences and making work. So that is the number, the number one thing I hear. But the other thing, and this is a really connected to that, is um, around what our expectations are of living in a city. So uh, people can expect to have the awesome cafe on the corner but don't like it when the milk gets delivered at 5 a.m. Um, and people can love having some cool small bars near them but it's not as fun when the glass gets collected you know in the middle of the night right so what are our expectations and obligations as urban citizens when we're living in a city and how much you know push and pull do we allow um, and that's the stuff when you get that sort of negative feedback and we only hear from people who who are complaining about noise or parking or whatever the issue is then it, it they create more it creates more cost and more of that regulation or red tape that can make it harder and more expensive for venues to thrive or it can mean that live music in particular can get pushed out so what I always say is that we need to hear as much from the people who love the music and love the cafe and love the the going out for a bev um, as we hear from the people who you know um, who don't want to be inconvenienced by it so and and how do we get you know venues as well to be good neighbors and so I know that the Nighttime Industries Association are doing some really great stuff and they're trying to reset that expectation and say hey before you complain um, about noise come and talk to me I'm just like a person I'm your neighbor who's running a venue so you know I think what is it how, who can afford to to make work or, or present work in a city but also what expectations do we have as as residents in that city are two things I'd bring to the table. Can, can I just chip in a third really briefly? Um, and one is what I call soft infrastructure. So we, we love hard infrastructure, um, building things. The soft infrastructure is uh, something that we're doing and it kind of just touched on it with uh, the approach that the city's just taken around its latest round of funding 
and we have a project being launched um, very shortly. But uh, check out YCK or Brookvale Arts District as uh, collectives that essentially are businesses pulling resource and and they're creative-led businesses. So I like to think about creativity as not houses, arts, culture, hospitality. It's like anyone who can who, who has a creative gene can you know be <coughs> attach themselves to something like that. It's a missing piece of the collaborative spirit that is needed to allow artists and creatives to find more opportunities. So if you look at say YCK or Brookvale, these are districts that have sprung up partly in response to the pandemic where business models have had to improve by reducing cost, improving audience engagement, and then delivering content by collaborating with artists. So uh, that's another piece that is quite a big uh, um, part of our strategy and you'll hear more on from us in the next uh, four to six weeks. I had a fourth thing, which is the public discourse. I think there's a disconnect between what people think about art and how they engage in it every day um, versus how it is discussed in, in our greater kind of public landscape. And, you know, I do mean in, in by those who are in power as well. So I think that's often the elephant in the room. Um, and I think it's... Um, if nothing else, the pandemic has brought home the importance of those activities <laughs> and just how shit our life would be without them. Sorry about the bleep word. But, you know, imagine imagine pandemic without Netflix or, uh, you know, other such things to keep us entertained. So that's been a good thing. It's come at some considerable cost to our creative sector. And I am um, uh, personally kind of pledged in, in the work that I do and where I am to to do my best to kind of reverse that as we come out of this pandemic, yeah. I do have one final question before I'm going to throw to Sarah for um, a piece of her work, which I'm very excited about. Um, my question is, it's just broadly about the future. I mean, a lot of this 24-hour economy stuff is coming with this term future-proofing. Future-proofing our cities is something that I, I hear about a lot. I'm wondering if anyone can speak to what that actually looks like. I mean, you know, we're, we're currently off the back of a pandemic going into a flood zone um how do we future proof these areas that we've been talking about tonight and and what are you excited about for the future i, I don't know if it's excited but i can i like i have a kind of a, a dream thing that could happen which is um you know i'd love to go to a, a nightclub that's got a fantastic kind of green outdoor area where they're kind of putting art back into partying where queer people are kind of really welcomed where an 18 year old girl can go and you know that's kind of if I was to envisage like a dream of what what I could go out to oh and where I could take my dog yeah that it that'd be great <laughs> I know can we have that but with dancing as well I want that with yeah, dancing sorry, I yeah to mention dancing dancing absolutely. <laughs> go right now that sounds amazing um, <laughs> I'll get the boat and with um, really good food as well, like yeah. really good food, yeah, like a like a food court, but for up and coming chefs, like where you can go and get like five buck, you know, ten buck snacks. Amazing. Yeah, all the bar with alcohol and non-alcoholic drinks, all of the really cool ones that you can get right now. They're out. There you go. I think it's perfect. Love it. You kind of hit all the important points. Um, <laughs> I think really books and animals and coffee and that kind of thing. But if I can just add on a a more serious note I think regardless of what that future looks like for me what I would want and what I want and what I fight for every day is um a you know a city a space spaces that are uh, actually public spaces that want people in them that aren't public spaces that are exclusive or exclude people whether that is our um you know homeless communities or otherwise I think we really need to think about the concept of public space and what that means for communities and um working on a way that brings that together that does um sort of uh, you know honor the sorts of issues that we've we've talked about today um yeah I think that's really my my main thing I'd love places that don't exclude if I if I can add to that, I think I would love to see um, a future where we feel that we are participants and not just observers of culture in our city, you know, and that it's part of our everyday life and it's not a special thing that happens on a few times a year, but it's something that you're actively involved in all the time. And I think to do that, we have to 
lay the groundwork and carve out space and preserve space for for creativity and culture but we also have to you know change the public discourse you know as Carla said and we need to change we have to set some kind of social contract I think of what it means to live in the city and what the benefits are as well as the the challenges of living in a city so um, that's my hot take. And without getting in the way of Sarah's award-winning performance we're about to see one word eudaimonia uh, utopia that's my response. All right, and on that, uh, we are going to go to Sarah. Um, I will invite um, the other panellists to just turn their mics off for a second. Um, Sarah's got a poem she's going to read us. I'm really excited about it. Thank you. Thanks very much. So a little thing we do at Slams, if you haven't been to Bankstown Poetry Slam and others, is uh, click when the poet, you know, performs a line or we hear a line that we really like. You might want to stomp your feet. So even though I can't see you, trust me, I will know, <laughs> I'll feel it if you aren't clicking and stomping. So please do uh, show this poem some love. I pledge my loyalty to Australia and its people whose democratic beliefs I share, whose rights and liberties I respect and whose laws I will uphold and obey. I pledge my loyalty to the salty lady bath, ladies' baths and bay runs, to the even saltier halal chicken nuggets and the Oliver Brown crunchy balls in my hot chocolate. I pledge loyalty to the WhatsApp group. I pledge loyalty to my girls and cards against humanity, to knowing every word of no scrubs at Saturday night karaoke. A scrub is a guy that thinks he's fine. He's also known as a buster. I pledge my loyalty to my father's foreign, mispronouncing our meals, to the varicose veins in my mother's legs that haven't seen a day of rest. I pledge my loyalty to my grandmother's stitching the holes in my hand-me-downs and the sadness in her elbows to the basil and rosemary that grows in our garden. I pledge loyalty to the three gray hairs, to Maghrib prayer, to the cobwebs in the corner of my bookshelf and to the conversations that shift the center. I pledge my loyalty to the streets of Western Sydney from Halden to Church Street and all our tight-knit communities. I pledge loyalty to funding more schools, not skyscrapers, to local councils, not constant amalgamation, to citizens, not empty logos and gentrification. I pledge my loyalty to Celine, whose skin smells of flat whites but tastes like Turkish coffee. You see the center kicked her out for corporations known for their tax evasion and successful globalization off the backs of modern day slave labor. See, Celine doesn't get an OHNS policy. I pledge loyalty to song lines, not coal mines, to no border, no boundary, just humanity. I pledge my loyalty to the Great Barrier Reef by Adani. I pledge my loyalty to the custodians of this land, not our democratic beliefs that separate families, a distorted supremacy reducing trauma to clickbait headlines that pretend to cry freedom of speech. I pledge my loyalty to no flag, just the Southern Cross, a constellation of my identities, not your ideal neoliberalism and illusion of liberties. See, signing us up to a nationalism that's quantified by KPIs of brown bodies as PR tools for fundraisers celebrating harmony. I pledge my loyalty to BPS, my slamily. So please bin your ego and pull up a seat. You are about to bear witness to some POC excellence. I pledge my loyalty to intersectionality because it is not feminism if it excludes me. And I pledge my loyalty to resist the laws that perpetuate inequality because everywhere we turn, we are told not to care, not to confront. But I pledge my loyalty to measuring the world by our art and our memory and our history. I pledge to journey across land and water and bone and ink to movement and to discovery. I pledge to live the struggle every day 
so we are all free. And I hope that you will join me. Thank you. <laughs> Lots of click in there. Thank you so much. What an honor. Thank you so much, Sarah Saleh. Thanks to all of our speakers for coming, for making the time. Sarah, Michael Rodriguez, Jeff Scully, Carla, Mark Scott, thank you for the opening notes. Thanks to everyone who had questions. Um, this is a University of Sydney, Sydney Ideas event. The podcast and the video will be online soon. And for more information and to find out about upcoming events, you can go to the Sydney Ideas website, follow their socials, subscribe to their newsletter. I know that they are, we're all really looking forward to welcoming audiences back in person, in the flesh. I cannot wait to see these people that I've just been speaking to again. I'm Steph Harmon. Good night. Thanks everyone for coming. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast. For more links, resources or the transcript, head to the Sydney Ideas website or subscribe to Sydney Ideas using your favourite podcast app. Oh,